Chapter 11 We couldn't go to the Chapman's next night because Marco and I both had papers we had to write, and the night after that was Cassie's dad's birthday. But finally, there we were again on the street outside the Chapman's house. It was a little before eight. Fluffer was out of the house, smelling a fence post four blocks over, where another cat had left his scent. At least, that's what Tobias reported. Are you ready? Jake asked me. I nodded. Are you sure? Cassie asked. You can put this off if you want. We don't have to do this tonight. The sooner the better, I said. We all know something is wrong in that house. Melissa is still my friend. Maybe somehow I can help. Your job is not to help Melissa Chapman, Uncle pointed out. You're supposed to be spying on Chapman. You're supposed to be finding some way for us to get at the Yurks, so that we can all turn into wild animals and get ourselves killed. I know why I'm doing this, Marco, I said. He nodded. Okay, well, take care of yourself in there. That's an insistent principle you're dealing with. He finds out you've turned into a cat and gone sneaking around his house, that will be after-school detention for, like, a year. We all laughed, as if detention were the thing I had to fear. Marco can be obnoxious, but on the other hand, he can make you laugh right when you really need to. I'm ready, I said. I waved my arms at the dark sky above. Tobias swooped down, opened his wings to slow his speed, and settled on the fence beside us. How does it look up there, Tobias? Jake asked. Looks fine. The cat is nowhere near the house. There's no one out walking around, except way over on Logan Street. There are a couple of cars, but not coming toward you. You know, we have quite a future in burglary, Marco said to Tobias. You and I can burglarize places, and Jake could be Spider-Man and catch us. Okay, I'm ready to do this, I announced. As ready as I'm going to get, anyway. Tobias sent me a private message. Rachel, if you get into any trouble, just try to make it outside. I can lift you out of any danger. I prepared to morph. I concentrated on Fluffer. It was easy to do. I had a very clear mental image of Fluffer dropping down out of that tree ready to kill me when I was a shrew. Inside my own body, Fluffer's DNA was stored, ready to be used. All I had to do was concentrate, concentrate. Each morphing is different, especially the first time when you can't even think about controlling how it happens. Even Cassie can't control the first morph. In the case of Fluffer, it started with the fur. Black fur came first, then the white fur began to grow. The fur had almost completely grown in while I was still mostly human. I had a luxurious fur on my arms, on my legs, on my face. Fur and whiskers with everything else pretty much the same. Oh, that is so cool, Cassie said. She was staring at me and grinning this huge grin. That is way cool. You look great. Marco and Jake nodded in agreement. It's kind of weird, but also kind of pretty, Marco said. I'm thinking you could do commercials for cat food. You sing a little song, maybe dance a little. Forget Morris the cat. You would rule. I began to shrink. But it was strange, because as I shrank, and my outer clothing slithered off, I didn't feel like I was getting smaller. I felt like I was getting stronger. It was like I was shedding all this unnecessary stuff. These clumsy long legs. These ridiculous weak arms. I felt like I had been boiled down to my absolute essentials, like I wasn't even made out of plain old flesh and bones anymore. I felt like liquid steel. I didn't feel the fear of the shrew. 
I didn't feel the total confidence of the elephant, either, or of the eagle. This was different. There was fear, sure, but underneath the fear was confidence. The cat knew that there were enemies out there, but he also knew he could handle it. I felt... tough. That was it. Tough. Then the cat's senses started sending messages to my brain. Whoa! I yelled in surprise. Suddenly it isn't nighttime anymore. I mean, wow. Talk about night vision. A cat's night vision at night is about eight times stronger than a human's, Cassie said helpfully. I looked it up. Eight times, Marco repeated. Not seven or nine? How do they measure that? But it wasn't just how well I saw that was strange. It was what I noticed. A human being will notice colors, for example. Now, a cat can see colors, more or less. He just isn't interested in colors. It's like, okay, that thing is red. Who cares? What cats really notice is movement. Anything moves, even the tiniest bit. The cat sees it. I was standing there on the grass, looking around with my big cat eyes. I saw nothing but movement. I saw every blade of grass that moved in the breeze. I saw every bug that crawled across those blades of grass. I saw every bird in every tree as it fluffed its wings. And boy, did I see the mice and squirrels and rats. There was a mouse no more than 20 feet away. I could see the individual whiskers on his little snout when they twitched. Things that were not moving were boring to me. If the mouse had just stayed completely still, I would have forgot he was even there. How are you doing? Jake asked me. I had no trouble at all hearing his voice, but it was irrelevant. It had no meaning. The mouse was making a tiny little screeching sound as it worked its little teeth around the nut, trying to chew it open. I cared about that sound. I cared about that sound a lot. Rachel, can you hear us? It's me, Cassie. Yes, I can hear you. I just can't seem to concentrate very well on you. There are so many other things to hear and see and smell. Well, at least she's not running around out of control, Marco said. Suddenly, I sent something over my head. A shape. A shadow. A figure. Lightning quick, I turned my head. My ears flattened against my skull. The hair on my back stood up and my tail puffed out to three times its normal size. My claws extended. I drew back my mouth and showed my teeth. It all happened in a split second. I was ready for battle. And whatever was attacking me, I wanted it to know it would be sorry it messed with Fluffer McKitty. I was ready to fight. I was pumped. Kill or be killed. It is so cool when you feel the razor-sharp claws sliding out of your delicate-looking pink pads. Rachel, take a pill, girl. It's just Tobias, Cassie said soothingly. Tobias? I think maybe you better stay away, she called up to the sky. Cats are genetically programmed to be afraid of large birds. She was right. The shadow of Tobias had scared me pretty good. It was strange, because it was a fear I shared with the shrew, but it was a different type of fear than the shrew's. This was more like I was angry, too. Only, that wasn't quite it either. I guess it wasn't a real emotion at all. Basically, when I hissed, I was just trying to communicate, and the message I was trying to communicate was, Don't mess with me. You may be bigger than me. You may scare me. You may make me run away, but if I have to, I am ready to fight. That was my whole cat message to the world. Don't mess with me. Don't get in my way. 
Don't try to touch me if I don't want to be touched. Don't try to keep me from getting what I want. I was self-contained. I was complete. I didn't need anything but myself. I seemed lonely to my human self, but at the same time, it was all very calm somehow. I'm okay, I said. I think I'm pretty much in control. What's it like? Cassie asked. It's like... You know those old cowboy movies with Clint Eastwood? He's a gunslinger, and he walks into the saloon, and everyone kind of gets out of his way? And how he's not really looking for trouble, but you'd better not make him mad? That's what it's like. It's like I'm Clint Eastwood. Can you do this, do you think? Jake asked me. Oh yeah, I can do anything. Don't let that cat's arrogance get you in trouble, Marco advised. Keep a little of your good old human fear. He paused. Oh, I forgot. Mighty Rachel doesn't have any good old human fear. So here's what you do. Borrow some of my good old human fear. I got plenty to spare. He's right, Rachel, Cassie agreed. Keep focused. Between your own natural attitude and the cat's toot, you could get cocky. I cast a glance back toward the mouse. He had broken into the nut at last. I could kill him. I was sure of that. He was a plump little mouse, and I would catch him easily. But I wasn't hungry, so he got to live a while longer. No problem, I said. We're here if you get into a mess, Cassie reassured me. I'll meow if I need help. Don't worry, I'm in control now. It'll be fine. But the truth is, I was lying. Just a little. See, I wasn't completely in control of the cat. For some reason, I didn't want to completely control the cat. I kind of liked his arrogance. It made me feel more sure of myself. And despite what the others thought about me, I needed all the confidence I could get. The morphing clock is ticking, Cassie said. It's a quarter to eight. Remember that. Chapter 12 I headed at an easy trot down the sidewalk toward the Chapman home. As soon as I started moving, I thought, Oh man, if I could just keep some of this for my next gymnastics class. It was like grace beyond any grace you can imagine as a human. I passed a wooden fence. There was a railing up high, maybe three feet up. I looked up at it, and then, before I could even think about it, I leapt. My powerful hind legs coiled up and released. I sailed through the air. Three feet, straight up, and I was an animal that stood only about 12 or 13 inches tall. It was the same as a human being just leaping to the top of a two-story building, and it was totally nothing. It was just automatic. I wanted to jump, so I did. I wanted to stick the landing on a narrow two-inch wide rail, and of course, no problem. Compared to a cat, the best gymnast who ever lived is like a big staggering cow or something. Um, Rachel, what exactly are you doing? Jake asked. They were all standing there looking at me. I had totally forgotten they were still around. Just practicing, I said. I jumped back down to the grass. Okay, get the job done first, I ordered myself sternly. You can worry about the kitty Olympics later. I started again toward the house, but this time something forced me to stop. It was a telephone pole. The smell that emanated from it was overpowering. I went over to it. I sniffed it again and again in short snorts of air. The air was trapped in a series of chambers above my palate. It would be held there even while I went on breathing. That way, I could get every possible bit of information from that smell. 
It was definitely a Tom's scent. A Tomcat had marked this pole by peeing on it. He was a dominant cat. Very dominant. The smell made me nervous. Not afraid, just a little less arrogant than I had been. If this cat appeared, I would have to submit. I would have to make myself smaller and less threatening and accept his dominance. Or I could fight him and get my butt kicked. It was just the way things were. It was all there in the smell of his urine, where any cat could read it. I resumed trotting toward the Chapman house. Rachel, are you sure you're in control? Tobias's voice was in my head. Why did you stop to sniff that pole? I figured I should look like a real cat, I said. I was just playing the part. If you say so, he said doubtfully. Just remember, it's fun being an animal for a while. Not so fun when it's permanent. The two-hour clock is ticking. Tick-tock. That got my attention. It was like a dash of cold water in my face. I focused my human mind and took greater control over the cat's mind, but it wasn't easy. The cat's mind did not even understand the notion of obeying. So I used something the cat would respond to. I conjured up the memory of the Big Tom smell. That triggered the cat's submissiveness. I felt my part of the collective mind grow larger. You're almost there, Tobias said. This is the right yard. Yes, I know. My scent is everywhere. This whole area smells of me. This is home. This is all mine. Rachel, this is all Chapman's. And Chapman belongs to Visitor 3. Don't forget that. I trotted to the cat door. Chapman, Visitor 3. Big deal. I was a combination of Rachel and Fluffer. What did I care about Chapman and Visitor 3? The light inside the house was bright. My eyes adjusted instantly. My nose picked up the smell of cat food, too dry and old to interest me. I also smelled the humans, Melissa, Mr. Chapman, and Miss Chapman. Don't ask me how I knew that what I smelled were those three people. I just knew. I spotted a cockroach in the dust balls and the dark beneath the refrigerator. No interest to me. Roaches made interesting scritchy noises sometimes, and they were fun to watch run. But they smelled wrong. They were not prey. Swift movements! Feet. Human feet. I didn't bother to look up. It was Miss Chapman. High-pitched sounds coming from the motor of the refrigerator. They were annoying. There were also the sounds of birds outside. They had a nest up in the eaves. Then the sound of Melissa's voice. Where was she? I didn't see her anywhere. The sound was muffled. I tried to focus. My ears moved to point toward the sound. It came from above me. Above and far away. She was in her bedroom, that's where. I couldn't hear the words clearly, but I knew she was muttering to herself. I trotted across the kitchen floor. I knew, as Rachel, I knew I should be afraid. But I couldn't be afraid. Everything here smelled like me. My scent glands had left their marks all over. On that door, on that cupboard, on that chair. It reassured me. The big dominant tomcat smell was not in here. No, there were no other cats in here at all. Only human smells, and those were not very important. I left the kitchen and paused at the corner between the hallway and the family room. Chapman was there, in the living room. I could smell him. He was just sitting on the couch. I glanced at him and walked on, but then I stopped. My human brain sensed something wrong with the picture. Chapman was just sitting on the couch. No TV, no music. He wasn't reading a book or a newspaper. Just sitting, 
I turned back to the kitchen. I looked up at Miss Chapman. She was doing something at the sink. Maybe washing dishes. No, she was cutting vegetables. But again, no TV. No music. She wasn't humming to herself. She wasn't talking to herself in the way my mom does when she's working in the kitchen. Not right. Something was not right with either of the Chapmans. I went back to the hallway. There were stairs leading up to the bedrooms. From the hallway, I could hear Melissa more clearly. I concentrated, trying to ignore the fascinating sounds of the birds under the eaves. I was focused on the human sounds of Melissa's voice. D divided by the square root. No, wait. No, square root times. Is that right? She was doing her homework. Her math homework, obviously. Like I should be doing, I thought. I had a pang of guilt. Instead of doing my homework, I was creeping around my friend's house, spying on her and her parents. I tried to find a clock. I had to watch the time. At 9.45, my two hours would be up. I wanted to be out of morph and back in my normal body long before then. Hopefully, I could still get home and do my math homework, and at least do some of the reading for social studies class. I spotted a clock. It was over the mantel between pictures of the Chapmans and Melissa. The clock said three minutes until eight. I had plenty of time. Sudden movement. Oh, just Chapman standing up. The cat part of me wasn't interested in Chapman one way or the other, but I forced myself to pay attention. It was important to watch him. That was why I was here. Is he prey? The cat brain seemed to be asking. Yes, yes, I told the cat brain. Chapman is our prey. I followed Chapman as he headed down the hallway. Either he didn't notice me, or else he didn't care. He opened a door and let loose a flood of smells. Dampness. Mildew. Bugs. Rachel? How are you doing in there? I jerked in surprise. A very uncat-like movement. It was Tobias. He had to be fairly close for me to be able to hear his thought speech. He must be on the roof or perched on a nearby tree branch. I strained my sensitive cat hearing. The birds under the eaves were silent. They were afraid of the big hawk. I'm fine, I said. But you scared me half to death. Sorry, I was just worried. Well, don't worry. I'm following Chapman down to the basement. Why? Because that's where he's going, duh, I said. Somehow, Tobias's human words were annoying me. He wanted me to pay attention to him, and it was hard to do. The cat didn't care about his words. The cat just wanted to go down and look around at the basement. Fortunately, that's what I wanted to do, too. I trotted down the rough wooden stairs after Chapman. Very weird, by the way. Going downstairs as a cat gave me a feeling of vertigo. I mean, I was going down head first. It's strange. Look, Tobias, I appreciate your looking out for me, but I'm kind of busy right now. I understand. I can't hear you very well anyway. You're getting further away. Yeah, I'm going down. I waited. He said nothing. Tobias? I called, but there was no answer. We're still learning about thought speech. We know there are limits to how far it can be heard, but we aren't sure what those limits are. The basement had paneling all around. The ceiling was bare wood, full of spiders and other interesting things. No mice, though. Nothing that could be considered actual prey but many things that might be fun to chase. Chapman is the prey, I reminded myself. We are hunting Chapman. 
There was a sort of TV room with a pool table and some old chairs and a couch, but it was obvious that no one had used them for a long time. There were no human scents on them. There was dust everywhere, and could hear that there were spiders inside the TV set. The only part of the basement that appeared to have been used was a path right across the floor. I smelled the scents that Chapman had tracked there with his shoes. He walked in a straight line across that basement to a door. It was a simple white painted door. Chapman pulled out a set of keys from his pocket. He unlocked the white door. He opened it and stepped through. Five feet beyond the white door was a second door. This one was made out of gleaming steel. It looked like the door to a bank vault. Beside the steel door, there was a small, square, white panel of light. Chapman pressed his hand against it. The steel door opened. It slid into the wall like the doors on Star Trek. I knew I had to go after him, but my human mind was afraid, and my cat mind didn't see any reason why I should walk into that dark place. To both of us, it felt like a trap, like a place we couldn't get out of. But I had to. I had to go in there. That was the whole point of this spying trip. And Chapman was my prey. At the last second, just as the door swooshed shut, I bounded into the room. It was dark at first, not that it bothered me. Then Chapman turned on a low light. It was strange, because I could actually see better in the dark than I could with the low light. There was a sort of desk set into the wall. It was gray steel and very unusual looking. There were more little light panels in various cheerful colors, and there was something that looked like a small but complicated spotlight hanging down from the ceiling. In front of the desk was a chair, a totally normal office-type chair. Chapman sat in it. He ran his hands over a blue panel. Then he looked at his watch. He sat patiently, waiting. For about a minute, nothing happened. I tried to look nonchalant, like I had just happened to wander in, but at the same time, I was careful to stay behind Chapman so he wouldn't see me. I remembered Jake's warning, about how anyone else would just assume I was a plain old cat. But Chapman knew about morphing. The Yurks knew about the Andalite morphing technology. So if Chapman or any controller ever saw an animal acting in the wrong way, they could suspect the truth. Suddenly, a brilliant light snapped on. My cat eyes adjusted instantly. But even so, the light was painfully bright. It came from the little spotlight thing. Chapman turned around in his chair to face the light. The light began to change. It took shape. It turned different colors. Four hooves appeared, then bluish fur, the many-fingered hands, the flat, intelligent face with no mouth and only slits for a nose, the penetrating, almond-shaped main eyes, then the strange extra eyes mounted on stalks that turned this way and that, looking around the room. Last came the tail, the wicked curved scorpion-like tail. An Andalite, just like the Andalite prince who had given us our powers. But I knew this was no true Andalite. Dread washed over me, dread too strong for even my cat brain to ignore. This was no true Andalite. This was the only Andalite body ever seized and taken over by the Yurks the only Andalite controller in the galaxy. This was Visser III, leader of the Yurk invasion force, the evil creature who could morph into monsters acquired from all over the universe. This was Visser III, the creature who had murdered the Andalite prince while we cowered in terror. This was Visser III, 
who had nearly killed all of us in the hell of the yerk pool. Welcome, Visser, Chapman said in a very humble voice. Innis 226 of the Shulk Nyarpool submits to you. May the Conjona shine and strengthen you. And you, Innis 226, Visser 3 said. I was shocked to hear the Visser's voice. In his Andalite body, he had no mouth. Andalites communicate telepathically, just the way I do when I'm in a morph. The second shot came from what they had said to each other. Innis 226. That had to be the name of the Yurk slug who controlled Chapman. The cat part of my brain was busy with a different question. Was this apparition real? No, there was no scent. No scent at all. Only light and shadows. It was a hologram, I knew. But it was a very convincing hologram. Visser 3 seemed almost solid. He looked around as if he could see from his holographic eyes. I prayed he wouldn't look at me. Report, Ennis. Yes, Visser. Part of me just wanted to run. Even a hologram of Visser 3 makes your skin crawl. But now that he had figured out it wasn't real, the cat part of me was just bored. I realized why I could hear Visser 3. The hologram projector must not be able to transmit thought speech. It translated it into regular speech. Is there progress on locating the Andalite bandits? No, Visser. Nothing yet. I knew who we meant by Andalite bandits. That was us, the Animorphs. I want them found! I want them found now! Chapman jumped back in surprise at the visitor's command. I could smell fear on him. In a calmer tone, Visitor 3 went on. This cannot go on, in its 226. It cannot go on. The Council of Thirteen will hear of it. They will wonder why I reported to them that all the Andalite ships near the planet had been destroyed and all Andalites killed. They will be suspicious. They will be angry. And when the Council of Thirteen is angry with me, I am angry with you. Chapman was literally quivering. I smelled human sweat. And I smelled something else. Something not totally human. It was very faint. Was that the yerk itself I was smelling? Was I smelling the yerk slug in Chapman's head? It seemed impossible. But there was some strange smell. Something, something... I concentrated all my cat mind on analyzing the smell. What is that? Chapman swiveled in his chair. I looked up and froze. Chapman was staring right at me. And worse, much worse, Visser Three's eye stalks were focused on me too. It's called a cat, Chapman said nervously. An earth species used as a pet. The humans keep them close and find comfort in them. Why is it here? It belongs to the girl, my... the host's daughter. I see, Mr. Three said. Well, kill it. Kill it immediately. Howdy-ho, Phantomorphs. Thanks for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs audiobook experience. That's just a new title I'm trying out. What do you guys think? Let me know. So, this is actually one of my favorite books in the series, and we're finally getting to the meat of it, so I'm really excited, actually, for the next couple of chapters, and I hope you all stick around for it. If you want to hear more of this show, you can find it at audiomorphs.podbean.com. That's audiomorphs.podbean.com. If you'd like to chat, you can reach me at 
audiomorphscast.tumblr.com and audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Alright, that's all I have tonight, so I've come up with, I think, the official sign-off, and uh, just let, let me know how it goes. Let me know what you guys think. Alright, here it goes. <clears throat> My name is Daniel, and I know the Andalites will come for us eventually. Until then, we fight. We fight.